Today's episode of the Hop4 podcast is proudly sponsored by Charles Farham. Charles Farham have been hop factors and merchants since 1865 and hop growers for even longer than that. While importing a vast catalogue of international hops, they have also developed their own varieties through their hop development programme, set up to create wildly different aromas and flavours, whilst also working closely with growers to produce varieties with good yields and disease resistance. Every year, a new class of plants are set off on their journey, involving disease assessments, aroma assessments and plot and brewing trials to get from 10,000 individual variety seedlings to one super successful variety for commercial release. The Farrams family range brings to you Archer, Emperor, Godiva, Harlequin, Jester, Most, Mystic, Olicana and Opus. They stock nitrogen flushed leaf hops, T90 pellets and T45 pellets and to ensure their hops remain in optimum condition, they have state-of-the-art cold stores at their sites in Worcestershire, UK and in Yakima, USA, with their Yakima site being a staging point for quality checks and the safe journey of US hops to the UK. Charles Farham are fully committed to providing quality hops to customers at home and around the globe through their well-hopped quality programme. And did you know they also supply yeast, malt, fruit purees and other brewing products. Get one delivery and one invoice. The range and product specifications can be found on their website, charlesfarham.co.uk. If you'd like more information or expert advice on the different uses, applications and recipes, one of their technical advisors will be really happy to help. Visit charlesfarham.co.uk. That's charlesfarham.co.uk for more details and to connect with one of their team. I'm Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hop Forward podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a show entirely dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions, and stories from the whole supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a beer and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. Hello, beer buddies, and welcome to another sesh on the Hot Four podcast. Christmas, it's the most wonderful time for a beer. This festive period is usually the time of year where breweries are absolutely smashing it. They're selling loads of beer to publicans, craft beer bars, bottle shops, farmers markets, online, you name it. People are going out of their way to buy beer for their loved ones for Christmas. However, it's been quite a tumultuous time for the craft beer industry, particularly here in the UK and Europe. Over the last few weeks alone, we've been informed that Old Dairy Brewery in Kent and Wild Beer Co. of Somerset have gone into administration. And this comes on top of a year of other craft brewers, some long-standing, also closing their doors after many, many years of trading. The issue doesn't only affect producers, though, it infects the entire supply chain from grain to glass. Escalating costs means suppliers are either putting their prices up, which obviously in turn affects breweries and then affects bars and affects the end consumer. And consumer confidence is very low at the moment. Or they're simply going out of business themselves. I've always tried to remain optimistic as far as beer is concerned. After all, it's meant to be one of life's little luxuries, a way to wind down at the end of a long day or 
something to raise a toast with for some Christmas cheer. But as it stands, we really are entering the bleak midwinter. Over these past few weeks, I've been having many a conversation with a variety of businesses throughout the supply chain, and they're all saying the same kind of things. Things like there's no rhyme or reason to people's drinking habits at the moment. So forecasting, brew schedules or stocking up on inventory is nearly impossible. Cash flow is precarious as people are trying to hold off paying the invoices, which in turn has a ripple effect throughout the supply chain. Prices are soaring for even the most basic of sundries, let alone for the raw materials involved in making beer, the products in which that entire supply chain hinges on. And the most worrying of all conversations that are being had behind closed doors, conversations not for public consumption, where businesses are holding on by their fingertips. This is hardly the dream many of us were sold at the start of the craft beer revolution, but more of a spiralling nightmare for which there is only one way out. Closure. I certainly don't want to be a doom merchant at this time. There are loads of positive things happening for a lot of breweries out there. And each time I see something online, maybe a brewery upscaling, winning new customers, exporting beers, whatever it is, I celebrate. It's a great thing that there are breweries that are not just surviving, but thriving in this economic time. However, I do feel like those breweries are much further and fewer between than they once were. Of course, it's more natural to share our successes through our marketing than it is our demises. After all, no one in business out there wants to be deemed as a failure. There are many reasons why businesses go under. Sometimes it's just a run of bad luck. Sometimes it's mismanagement. Sometimes it's the economic and political climates. Sometimes it's a combination of all of them, which I suspect for a lot of instances we've seen over the last few months is the case. If you go back and listen to the Fermenting Thoughts episode this week with myself and Sean, you can hear us discussing some of these issues a little bit further. After we published that episode on Monday of this week, I was contacted by Anthony Barrett of Twisted Wheel Brew Co., one of the breweries who announced they unfortunately were shut in shop, to say, could I come on your podcast and talk about it? Obviously, it's quite a sensitive topic to be tackling, particularly when you've just lost your job. So I really admire Anthony putting himself forward and being so vulnerable to be really open about his experience and his views on the craft beer industry in the UK at the moment. So what you're about to hear in a few minutes was very raw. It was very off the cuff and very, very insightful. And I do need to reiterate, it's not all doom and gloom. There are lots of businesses out there as with any recession, that are just getting on with it and are selling stuff and so on. And, you know, each business needs to be taken on its own merit. They're all different, just like people. We're all different. A business is just a reflection of the people who own it and the people that work there. But nonetheless, it's still sad and it sucks when you see a brewery, particularly a brewery that you really enjoy their beers and a brewery that you love go under. I'm certainly looking forward to the time on the Hot Four podcast when I can just get back to talking about business flourishing and beer and all the rest of it. 
But like I say, a lot of the conversations I'm having with brewers at the moment, either when I hit record or when I just pick up the phone and talk to them, are the hard conversations to be having. So before I crack open this discussion with Anthony Barrett from Twisted Wheel Brew Co, I wanted to welcome Will Rogers, Technical Director of Charles Farham, back on the show to talk about hops. Hello. Hi, Nick. Good to see you again. You too. How are things in the world of hops? Well, it's been a a challenging year anywhere in the Northern Hemisphere for growing hops, but you know, the, these challenges always always present um, interesting points of interest. Yeah, uh, good discussion points and 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 learning experiences, shall we say? Yeah. Well, I mean, let's hop right in, pun intended, to talking about your breeding program. And um, I've I have actually got a question on that. We'll maybe start with how the British breeding program is going. Um, so, like, talk us through where you're up to with that because any regular listeners to the hot four podcast will be aware that we did an episode not too long back actually um where we were talking all about it so if they want to know more they can really have a deep dive into that i was quite curious to have an update where you're up to and how the british hop harvest has been this year especially as you've just alluded to with the extremely hot and dry summer we've had yeah so so the hop harvest in general in the uk was was really challenging um on average, most hops produced about 60% of a normal crop, some significantly lower than that. Um, and it was really a, an interesting challenge for the breeding program um, because you can talk about breeding in drought resistance or drought tolerance to, to plants, but until you have a year where where it didn't rain, we had no significant rain from the end of March through to harvest. Um, very localised, we had small showers, um, making the test even more difficult. But right. but generally speaking, we had no rain. And seeing how the plants reacted um, and how they coped with the stress um, has been really, really quite insightful. The, the traditional land race varieties, we call them, so the sort of tamed wild hops like your golding or your your mittelfrew or your fuggle um they really suffered this year um they just don't have the the metabolism shuts down in in the hot temperatures and they really struggle to cope without food uh and what we feed hops with with nitrogen in general um and nitrogen is soluble so if you've got no water they can't take their food up um and that manifests itself in in lots of different ways but um it was interesting to see some of our our breeding lines have coped extremely well with it we had uh 90 yields of, of some of our varieties so still down on a normal crop but mm. But really, quite encouraging that, that the numbers were were pretty close to where we'd expect them to be, um, and the quality it has been fantastic. The, the 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 disease pressure was much lower this year, actually, because of the the heat uh, and the drought. Which which you know, so thank, we have to be thankful for small mercies. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask what conditions were like in Europe and. USA because you know there was for however hot it was in the UK you know there were insane wildfires across Europe and in America yeah so across northern Europe in particular that there, there was incredible heat now 
heat and drought make the plants react differently. Um, as, as I alluded to earlier, the, the high temperatures, the metabolism of the plant shuts down, the, the, and they, they almost, they stop functioning really. Um, so tra the traditional varieties like our Goldings and Fuggles in Germany and the Czech Republic, that, that their Sarts and Mittelfru uh, really, really suffered in the, in the heat. Uh, the Czech yield is something like 35% of normal which is quite, it, it really highlights the variation you can have in yield because the previous year, the yield almost been twice the average yield. So we've gone from twice the average yield to a third of the average yield, um, which kind of makes a mockery of the average yield statistic, really. <laughs> but yeah, really short. And the, the traditional varieties have also suffered so very low alphas so sarts that normally has an alpha content of three to five um we've seen alphas of of two and a little bit above right. two and and the oil content which is really what as brewers we're, we're looking for um is also going to be reflected it's going to be a little bit lower um, the, the quality actually of the, the hops looks good, but the the oil content will be a little bit lower. Yeah. So how do brewers make adjustments to their recipes when it comes to dealing with hops that have suffered drought? And like, like say with SARS having a lower alpha acid, like surely it's not just a case of looking at the alpha acid and bumping it up with an equation. Like there's got to be other factors involved, right? I'm very much an advocate of... Um, sensory analysis. Um, so I, I personally um, would would have a, a, a sensory session. Look, look at the hops, um, rub and rub and sniff them. Maybe do a little dry hop into into um, some beer. Maybe make a hop tea. See what you get out of it. Um, the the alpha and oil content are generally related, but it's not always the case. Uh, we did see a few years ago, though, that it was very directly related in Slovenia when they had a bit of a disaster. Um, and so we had alphas of on Bobek of less than 1%, and the oil content was similarly low. And, and actually, just using more hop in that case is not going to help because you end up pulling through more of the polyphenols. And, and so instead of getting, instead of amping up that oil, you're effectively diluting it um and and it it didn't work terribly well so what happened then was brewers looked at previous stocks so there were some really good uh stocks from a couple of years prior to that and i would say in the current economic situation uh having just come through covid and now the global political crisis that we've got going on uh which is leading to the rising cost of living um I, I would recommend looking at older crops. That there, there, there are still stocks in most merchants' stores that maybe are from a couple of years ago. Um, earlier on this week, I was looking at some Styrian Goldings, which actually the crop in Slovenia was was good, but we wanted to 
offer the the brewer some previous crop just as an insurance policy for them in case they didn't like any of the samples and we were looking at Solea that was roughly three percent alpha this year and yet if you looked a couple of years back they'd all been well stored uh in nitrogen back flushed packs and we'd got alphas of four four and a half so in certain circumstances those looking back a couple of years might give you an advantage and certainly a saving um and I, and I, I was actually really pleased with the quality of the the older crop. It, it came through, and I suspect if you used it in in something like the hot back, if you've got a hot back, um, it it would have really worked worked very well and and punched as they expect from from that particular variety, which is it's a key variety for them. Hence, we were having the conversation. I know we've talked about this before on the previous episode we did in the podcast at length, but in a nutshell for our listeners, between hops being propagated in the breeding programme and them being released, what's the kind of time frame? And are there any varieties at the moment that are on the cusp of being released? And which ones are you most excited about? Nothing that we're going to name this year, I don't think. Uh, but we do have about 40 plots that we're very excited about that brewers can have a play with if they ask to see the the experimental hop list uh some of those are really extremely promising we had some some years you'll have uh disease problems that really highlight the attritional nature of the, the the program and so actually if we don't have any that we are are our target isn't necessarily to release a name variety every year. They have to be released on their own merit. So if they don't make it, then we have a year where we're not releasing one. And th- this year, I would have loved to have been releasing one called CF247, which I know you were at Beer X yeah. last year, and I'm not sure whether you tried it, but Oakham had brewed a beer with CF247, and I, I loved it as a variety. Sister of Harlequin, um, but when when it came down to it, we didn't feel the yield was sufficient to really keep growers interested. So they, they would have needed a, a, a higher price for it. And the disease resistance was just a little bit under where we needed it to be. So, in fact, we've decided not to go ahead with that. And that probably would have been named this year. I quite like the name Relentless for it as playing on the 24-7 yeah. theme. Um, but yeah, that's the nature of it. We, we can't force varieties through. And we, we had to make the very difficult decision that we were going to, to pull it out. But on the other side of the coin, CF161 which has been in the program for a very long time, bearing in mind that actually what we're going to be letting brewers play with this year, we're up to CF 330. So we're talking about quite a long time ago um, that we we developed 161. In fact, Mystic was 160. So it was about the same generation as Mystic was, was brought through. I just told the growers that we were going to leave that one that it wasn't going to be grown anymore. And uh, Ben Sweeney at Bank Top brewed with it. And 
we we've perhaps just we've realized that maybe we're focusing on the wrong thing and this hop makes for a very good session beer if you think of it along the lines of um Asterian Golding, or um, we're, we're thinking maybe it's the new British lager hop. So, having sprayed it off, we're going to replant it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> do, do you tend to find when people are phoning Charles Fram up about ordering hops, more often than not, they're asking about, you know, what's going to give me that big, punchy IPA flavor? Whereas you just said, like, Asterian Golding. Um, or, you know, or, or similar type of hops like Bobek or Kazbek. You know, I know those varieties when I was at Sheffield Brewery, we used to just go through so much of those hops and they're never going to be all like dinner, jazz hands and all the rest of it. But they they impart such a lovely, fresh, um, you know, slightly grassy hedgerow. I know I'm, I'm probably putting some people off as hedgerow, moss and all the rest of it, just using those terms. But it was a lovely sort of fresh, grassy kind of um aroma and flavor we tend to forget about drinkability don't we yep um we're, we're always looking for the next big thing the next howitzer that's going to blow our taste buds away but in all honesty who can drink four or five pints of a double ipa with massive hop character i mean i'll do my best you know <laughs> i try and support the industry as best i can but most of us love to go down to a, a proper pub and have a few pints of relatively low strength, you know, three and a half, four percent pale ale, or it doesn't even have to be pale. It, it can have some malt character as well. Um, but just that repeatability, that sessionability, that not being challenged by the 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 intensity of the flavour, um, but just having a harmonious uh, subtlety uh with no off notes and that that's really where we feel the 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 british lager hop in inverted commas needs to be it needs to be have some nice floral characteristics maybe a little bit of citrus but nothing overpowering think of a, a mittelfru a hersbrucker um even a brewer's gold maybe mm. um or as you as you quite rightly put those styrian goldings that have that delicate floral but actually, when you have a pint, a, a cask pint of a beer like that in a pub, in a social, you know, you're talking to your mates, you, you could sit there all afternoon and, and, and drink uh, good volumes of it. And that is really where the volume is. As you said, at Sheffield Brewhouse, you, you were looking for session beers. And we can get it very excited about massive hop flavors and i must confess that that is really my motivation but we don't want to overlook something that might bring a fantastic sessionable quality that that people can savor with their friends in a in a in a session pint so before we round up why don't you tell us a little bit about what's happening with the usa breeding program the u.s climate is fascinating certainly the the pacific northwest where we've got this incredibly you know we, we've yakima valley is is like growing hops in a greenhouse we get extreme temperatures in both directions you've got beautiful volcanic fertile soils um and you've got water to irrigate so as soon as we were 
running a breeding program in the UK, I, I sort of set my sights that I'd really like to to have a go in that climate. I mean, who who wouldn't want to yeah. to have a go in that playground? It's just incredible. So we sent some seed fairly early on. Um, again, Jester Olicana time. Uh, I think it's probably about two thousand and nine. Um, and so now we have a collection of plants over there, quite a profusion, hundreds of plants with with UK genetics combined with US genetics. Wow! And that that gives us something really interesting. We've got this really broad genetic base to work with over there. Um, so we've got some we've got males which have, you know got a lot of UK genetics, but they've also you know that they're, they're they're surrounded by all the US plants and some US wild males. And so we get this, it's just incredible that the diversity of genetics we've got there. Um, but one of the really interesting things we've managed to bring to the US varieties is a lot of their varieties are, are late. So, or, or we class them as late. So, so they start picking, um, in September and they, they carry on into October. Uh, but with some of these British genetics that we've brought over, um, we've, we've managed to bring some hops into the early part of the picking season. So we, we're talking about having hops ripe in the middle of August, which from the growers perspective, that they're always worried whether they can get the, all the hops picked and dried in time and they've got to be ripe and the quality's got to be good and, and they've got to then package them and, and, and get them out, out to us in a hurry. But well, we're looking at new varieties that sit outside those normal ripening times. So they, there's less pressure on the infrastructure there. Mm. They can get these right and, and get them picked and secured before they've even thought about starting on their Willamettes. So... It's really, really interesting because we've managed to do that. And we, we've got some incredible floral characteristics that are coming through from some of the, the UK genetics. But also we, we, we're pushing into it our superior disease tolerance and resistance. So these plants are really, really robust. We've got, got a couple that are coming through. So CF298 and 299, brewers will be able to have a play with this this year and they're available in leaf and pellets uh, uh one of them i think it's 298 is described as lime popsicle so that's that's a, a lolly to to you and i <laughs> yeah. but um really really limey citrus um but it's also got an alpha of between 10 and 12 percent so it's, it's quite punchy Okay, so that that's what what we're doing in the U.S. So we were working with two farms. We've now reduced that down to one, um, but I'm really pleased with how it's coming on. We've got the, a profusion of varieties that are coming through with uh, with punchy aromas that will be um, they'll start to become available from from this last harvest. But we've got more in the pipeline. Happy days, Brill. Well. Thanks for being on the show this week. How can people find out more, particularly about the breeding program and play with some of these hops? Who do they need to get in touch with at Charles Farham to talk about that? 
Well, the sales team can help. And if they have any questions, they, they can direct them to me. I'm Will Rogers at charlesferrum.co.uk. Brilliant. Well, thanks for being on the show once again, Will, to talk about hops and Charles Farrum's breeding programme. Just a couple of things then before we crack open today's discussion with Anthony Brown from Twisted Wheel Bruco. Firstly, if you like what you hear on the Hot 4 podcast, please subscribe to the show. Go onto Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you digest and download your podcast, hit the subscribe button so that when the latest episode drops, it'll go straight to your device. Secondly, off the back of that, if you could go and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, I don't know if Spotify does reviews or not, but Apple Podcasts definitely does. But if you could go wherever it is you go and leave reviews, whether that's on Apple or on the toilet door in the pub or wherever, don't do the toilet door in the pub, that's a terrible idea. Um, But wherever is feasible that they do reviews that's going to make a difference probably best just stick with apple podcasts in this instance but if you can go and leave a review that would be amazing because the more reviews and five stars that the hot four podcasts get the more listeners will pick up through the algorithm and you know as it says in the hunger games may the odds be ever in your favor And off the back of that, if you haven't heard it yet, we've just launched or relaunched, I should say, our Fermenting Thoughts mini episodes. I say mini episodes, the last one was 35 minutes. We're going to try and keep them a little bit shorter than that. But myself and my partner in crime, Sean Robertson, are starting to do some content together. So Sean is the beverage agent. He works with a variety of brands from across the globe, helping them with their commercial strategy. And we decided to collaborate together on this project and have regular discussions about what's happening in the beer industry and bring some of our own insights from our respective roles as consultants and brand builders. So we're putting that into one place and they will be available most Mondays, depending on how much activity there's been. We'll be putting those episodes out. Had some great feedback so far on them. So again, which ties back into the review thing, leave a review. And thirdly, you'll be pleased to know that there is a new Hot Forward website coming your way really soon where you'll be able to read articles, digest podcasts and check out, again, some of the work that myself and Sean do for breweries and supply chain businesses like yours. So I won't say any more about that at the moment. All will be revealed in due course. But for now, go get a cold beer and let's get into this week's discussion with Anthony Barrett from Twisted Wheel Bruco. This show is only made possible by our supplier sponsors who support this podcast on a regular basis and offer support and insights to all our listeners within the craft beer industry, whatever your need. Today's episode of the Hop 4 podcast is proudly sponsored by Charles Farham. Charles Farham have been hop factors and merchants since 1865 and hop growers for even longer than that. While importing a vast catalogue of international hops, They have also developed their own varieties through their hop development program, set up to create wildly different aromas and flavors, whilst also working closely with growers to produce varieties with good yields and disease resistance. Every year, a new class of plants are set off on their journey, involving disease assessments, aroma assessments, and plot and brewing trials to get from 10,000 individual variety seedlings to one super successful variety for commercial release. The Farrams family range brings to you Archer, Emperor, Godiva, Harlequin, 
Jester, Most, Mystic, Olicana, and Opus. They stock nitrogen flushed leaf hops, T90 pellets, and T45 pellets. And to ensure their hops remain in optimum condition, they have state-of-the-art cold stores at their sites in Worcestershire, UK, and in Yakima, USA, with their Yakima site being a staging point for quality checks and the safe journey of US hops to the UK. Charles Farham are fully committed to providing quality hops to customers at home and around the globe through their well-hopped quality program. And did you know they also supply yeast, malt, fruit purees, and other brewing products? Get one delivery and one invoice. The range and product specifications can be found on their website, charlesfarrow.co.uk. If you'd like more information or expert advice on the different uses, applications and recipes, one of their technical advisors will be really happy to help. Visit charlesfarrow.co.uk. That's charlesfarrow.co.uk for more details and to connect with one of their team. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You can find out more about Hop Forward and the work we do within the industry at our website, hopforward.beer, or follow us on social media at hopforwardbeers. And if you really wanted to go the extra mile, you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify with what you think about this podcast. For now, let's crack open this week's discussion. Today on the Hop Forward podcast, I'm joined by Anthony Barrett from Twisted Wheel Brew Co. Hello. Hi, how are you up? I'm okay. Massive question because I'm sure a lot of listeners, particularly here in the UK, are going to be familiar with Twisted Wheel and the news that got delivered on Monday this week. Um, how are you? Um, it's been a very emotional few days, let's put it that way. It's, yep. um, yeah, uh, just a lot of emotions going around. I mean, um, we walked in on Monday and... Uh, a couple of lads decided that they were going to put Titanic on and film the scene just as a bit of irony. And so we were laughing and joking and then we were all like nearly crying. And it's, uh, yeah, a big mix of emotion. Right. I, I mean, firstly, I've, I've got to say, and genuinely from the heart, I'm, I am gutted. Um, having to got to know, I, I mean, this is the first time we've ever spoken face to face, but obviously I've spoke to you on the phone and on um, social media. Yeah. Uh, before now I've drunk your beers and and you know the amazing beers really really tasty so it's 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 gutting um to hear that you ceasing trading so I'm, I'm I am genuinely sorry to hear that as I'm sure a lot of the listeners are in some ways I just want to open this up over to you really like to just say like what you feel has led up to this point um where you think some of the problems might have been that have been beyond your control, you know, how you guys feel and just give the floor to you basically. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, we actually started just before lockdown. Um, so the owners of the business actually bought it in 2019 in October and they did a few cask only brews while they found the feet. Um, and then I started with them March, 2020 and it was impeccable timing <laughs> yeah we um i actually met mark the week of ciba beerex right and um yeah when we arranged that i would start work the week after and the week after was when boris turned around and said yeah don't go to your local pub mm. 
So all Mark's advanced orders cancelled on him because obviously they had a good idea they were going to, yeah, lock down. Yep. Um, Plus, weren't you at vacation before that? Uh, I've I've been to Kent in between that, but I right. was at vocation. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, when did I finish in vocation? Uh, 2018, I think. Right. It was. And then where were you at Kent? Uh, Old Dairy. <laughs> oh, oh, really? <laughs> oh, my word. Yeah. So basically, like I said, the week before lockdown was when I was due to start. It all went spiraling because we didn't have any customers because they were all trade customers. We'd never done any small pack or anything like that. So I said to Mark, it's like they had a bit of capital then. Um, it's like, right, well, we'll get a few beers, put them in the can, get them out during lockdown. So hopefully when the pubs reopen, we'll have a bit of a reputation. The pubs will start buying and, you know, it'll all be rosy from there. In the October of 2020, we were just in the reopening eat out to help out scheme and all that. And, you know, when everything reopened, we got really busy. We then got a letter from our landlord saying, because we were on a farm at the time, and he'd sold the farm to a dairy farmer and basically said, you know, uh, you're going to have to speak to him about his plans for the site, etc. So we spoke to him and he said, well, we don't really want a brewery on site, so you need to move. Um, bear in mind, it was a run-up to Christmas. It was all done in a bit of a rush, to mm-hmm. be fair. Um, but we needed more space. We were getting busier. Uh, we needed a bigger brew kit, and it was just actually very conveniently timed that Vocation were getting rid of their original kit. Right. So it kind of all tied in and it all felt, you know, pretty as though it was all meant to be. Mm. Um, so we moved into this unit, obviously a bigger unit, more rent, hell of a lot of money to move. You know, you're talking tens of thousands of pounds to move the business. We got to the unit and when we looked around the unit, uh, stupid little things like um, – I knew from being at Vocation when we put the bigger plant in at Vocation that power was an issue because it was a 25-heck plant that was running 232-kilowatt elements and 224-kilowatt elements. So I knew power was an issue. So I asked the agent, you know, what power was coming into the building. And she told me that it was 150 watts per phase, which is fine. When we came to actually install the brewery, it was 150 watt in total, so it was 50 watt per phase. Right. So the only way we could do it was to buy a generator, but the generator had to be quite a big generator to deal with the power demands we had. So obviously that was more money, and putting a new floor in and a raised floor was more money, and it all just built up and built up, and we weren't massively concerned because... At the time, it was like, well, COVID's still about, yes, but it will die off and things will get back to normal and we'll be fine. And obviously, COVID didn't go. It lasted another, what, at least a year. So we were reduced trading. We're still doing well, don't get me wrong. We actually, sales were strong, but we had no reserves. We'd used all the reserves on the move, on upgrading the kit. Uh, we bought a little imp 2 canning line because 
we had constant problems with contract canning. So yeah, um, that was the beginning of the struggle. And then the early part of this year, we were actually flying. We were brewing four or five times a week. We were selling it all. And then it was around maybe August. This is around the time of the uh, the, the mini budget, isn't it? <laughs> and the, the whole Liz Trust debacle, right? Yes. Uh, well, yeah. Energy prices obviously have crippled us. Um, CO2, CO2 price, God, I think that's more than four times what it was right. this time last year. Malt was going up to just short of a thousand pound a ton. Thousand um, pound a ton. Started, yeah, when I first started at Twisted Wheel, it was five hundred pound a ton. It went up to six hundred pound a ton this year, and then, well, it just short of nine, uh, just short of a thousand, so nine fifty a ton. I think it was meant going to be hops, obviously the exchange rate, etc., and the sort of beers we did with the hops. We also did quite a lot of fruited sours. We always did that right. We always used proper fruit. That just skyrocketed. And in a very, very short space of time, it just all became quite intangible. People have lost confidence in going out. We speak to our customers and it's really, really random. It's like I was talking to one landlord yesterday and he said last Wednesday night was the busiest night he's had in the last two months. And Friday night, he had two customers in all night. And... There's just no rhyme, no reason to it whatsoever. Mm. And uh, at the end of the day, if you look at pricing on beer in general, um, for everyone to make the markup they should be making, it should be six, seven pound a pint, you know, realistically. But if you tried to charge someone six, seven pound a pint in a pub, you know, they're going to be like, no, I'm not paying that. It's mm. not worth that. They're ripping us off, blah, de blah. But yet they can see, you know, they go home and they see their electric bill that's quadrupled in the last six months. And it's like, well, do you not think we've got all that as well to contend with? Um, And then obviously this industry has had no support whatsoever through COVID, through the mess that's going on now. There is other industries and I know people in those industries, but obviously I'm in this industry, so I... uh, it's more personal to me, but we've just not had any any help. Um, short of like, I think it was a grant for two thousand pound, which you know, well, that's two, two to the malt by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, doesn't even cover the malt bill for the week. Um, there's just been no help, no support. Um, and the thing is, we were in a weaker position because we had to move. Without that, I think we might have been able to ride it just about, but we'd have still struggled come January, February, you know, because Christmas was looking good. But January, February, um, honestly, it's, I think we're just going to hit crisis point with it, especially when obviously they get the first bills in for the malt, et cetera, and there's no one out drinking because the other thing we've got to bear in mind is this Christmas is going to be the first Christmas in three years where people are actually allowed freely to do what they want. And, you know, they're probably tightening the belts anyway, but then they'll get to Christmas and think, oh, well, we'll splash out a bit and then panic come January. And then you've got dry January, which, you know, I don't even get to start on that. Um, So there's just so many obstacles for... Mm small breweries um how many 
other breweries do you think are in a similar position that Twisted Wheel have found themselves in? Um, I think a hell of a lot. Um, and I think a hell of a lot of waiting for Christmas and hoping it's going to be a bumper Christmas. Um, I'll be honest with you, I think we were. Uh, obviously, I only... I'm experienced enough in the industry to know <clears throat> the telltale signs of what was going on, um, but the management didn't say anything because they couldn't. But I knew from things that were going on, from emails I were getting from suppliers, etc., that there was something going on. Um, and I could... <sighs> I kind of knew that we were going to go, but I expected it to be in January. Right. As it happens, customs took that out of our hands. But I think there will be a lot of breweries out there that are struggling, hopefully try to get through Christmas and hoping Christmas gives them enough to get through the early part of next year. And I just, A, don't think it will. And the last couple of weeks, there's been quite a few announcements, aren't they? And then... Yeah, I think first, second week in January, we might be all right. But come back end of January when the beer duty bills come, this, that and the other, um, yeah, we're going to see a lot go to the wall. And then there's pubs as well. Um, obviously, they'll be wanting the Christmas rush. And it's how many are even going to bother to open in January? You know, are you going to open your pub and pay... God, uh, my local pub, I think he said it was something like two and a half grand a month he had to pay. It's like, why would you pay that two and a half grand for January just to keep the lights on when you're literally getting no one in? Yeah. You know, you're just throwing money away and it's an industry where you don't really make any money. So, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, what else do you think has contributed towards this? Obviously... You've got a perfect storm of Brexit, post-pandemic debt, yeah, which all needs to be repaid, and war in Ukraine, all the energy stuff along with that. But what other factors do you feel were problems in the industry before that maybe we either turned a blind eye to or just didn't spot? <laughs> um. <laughs> camera what it was set up to do initially i fully support um you know it was good what they wanted to do but what i don't think they realize is the whole organization has effectively gone full circle and is now supporting the sort of breweries that are trying to get taken over by the big boys mm. <clears throat> and by doing so they're effectively starting a revolution um, so it's like the discount vouchers for the certain pub group we work name, and yeah, you know, the the amount of times I get said to me, oh well, I can get a pint in Weatherspoons for one ninety nine. If they can produce it for that, you're just ripping us off. It's like, well, actually, mate, if you look at the cost of it, it's very likely either the brewer isn't making any money. Um, or it's a massive brewery that have got massive economies of scale and can afford to do it because, you know, they'll be making 20p on a cask, but if they're selling a 1,000 casks, it's it's a bit like the model vocation had, you know. It's 
volume, but for little money. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, we did get a fair price off Tesco, despite what a lot of people think. Um, but it was the volume. So let's say 20p a can profit, but when you're sending 100,000 cans a week out, <coughs> it all adds up. Well, I that, would imagine as well for breweries like that and other larger breweries even that are selling to Weatherspoons via companies like East West Ales or to supermarkets like Tesco's or whatever, is they could probably command a slightly higher price, even though it's a lower price than selling it to other retailers because of the sheer volume you're putting through, right? Because, you know, you've you've got a track record of being able to sell beer through a supermarket, whereas I would imagine for an independent brewer who manages to get a listing in Tesco, that are probably relatively unknown by the public at large. Yeah. They've not got any leverage, right? Is that how that works? I'm I'm really, I've never had any experience with selling beer through a supermarket, so... The the problem I've got is the experience I had, it was in the very, very early days. Um, so bear in mind when we went into Tesco and co-op, uh, there was only really Brewdog out there. Um, Camden maybe were coming up as well and possibly Beavertown, but then there was us. And the biggest thing was the buyers wanted to bring their average age of consumer down. So they brought in craft beer, they brought in like craft cheese and this, that and the other to try and bring the age of their consumers down. That's what it was originally for them. So we were one of the very early ones to get in. So we kind of made it a staple. So life and death became a staple in Tesco, um, became very popular. And obviously on the back of that, I wouldn't say we had leverage because you never have leverage with Tesco, but there was more of a mutual respect there. Right. And you've got to bear in mind that, oh God, the amount of grief I got when we went into Tesco, the amount of grief John got, um, the online forums were just, uh, I was working 90 hours a week and coming home and looking at my phone and just getting depressed. And it actually, it did make me ill at one point because the abuse was just completely, you know, it was horrific. And it's mm. like, I don't get paid enough for this. Yeah. You know, I'm working 90, 90 hours a week because we've got massively busy. We can't take in on any staff yet because we're in that interim period. And then I'm coming home and just getting abuse because we've sold out to the big man. And what they've got to bear in mind is genuinely when me and John spoke about it, we wanted to get more people into craft beer and that was the genuine purpose behind it. It wasn't, we weren't selling out for the money. In fact, we both were kind of of the opinion, do we really want to be that busy? You know, we had a very good reputation. We had quite a good business and it was just like, do we really want to push it that that far? Mm. Um. But John did get excited about, well, think of how many people will go in and pick up a can of life and death and then go into a bottle shop and try cloud water and, well, cloud water were out at the time, but you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. And it's not only that, but people going about the freshness of beers on supermarket shelves. We used to get untapped ratings the day after we sent that beer. And nine times out of 10, it had been canned the day before. Right. It went on the truck. So you're talking three days and it was in someone's hand 
in Tesco down in Plymouth. You know, but so they're saying, oh, it just sits on supermarket shelves. It never actually did. It was very, very rare that happened. The only time that ever happened was Marks and Spencer's because their range was so massive. They had like 50 craft beers. So, yeah, it ended up where instead of someone going in and life and death was like the only option apart from punk IPA, the pick six life and death up. So it would constantly be re- replenished. Whereas in Marks and Spencer's, because they had 50, they might not pick up life and death. They might pick up a shipyard IPA and a whatever, you know what I mean? So mm. it did sit there a lot longer. Um, but yeah, I, I could go on about hours what happened with vocation. I really could. Yeah. Um, and then back to your original point, Sieber, I think, aren't helping the industry as much as they should do. <laughs> I could get really political about Sieber as well, <laughs> but um, I think they've got a long way to go in helping us. Um, I haven't, well, anyone I've worked with, I haven't been a member of them for quite some time now because I think it was, for, I remember at Vocation, it was when um, they lowered the price of the BFlex or DDS or whatever they called it at the time. And then they brought in the fact that you had to get the accreditation through them, but that was 600 quid to sell your beer cheaper than you wanted to and deliver it direct. And that was the FSQ, wasn't it? Yes, it was, yeah. I remember it well. Um, as it, for us, that wasn't the problem because we had salsa anyway, but it was still like you're making it harder for less money. Um, and you're meant to be an organisation that represents us you know, going forward. Um, and then, yeah, you've got to think about the other, the future and the duty reforms and what's going to happen there. And is that going to be another massive hit? Well, I mean, look at deposit return scheme, you know, well. <laughs> I mean, that is a, a slow train wreck coming, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, my setup's already small, but I still can beers and I'm thinking, right. So is this really going to be worth it for me? Given that you know it's a it, it's a semi-commercial setup, I I do it to tie in both with Hotford and to keep my hand in brewing and mm. um and the beer scene locally. And if I've got to then pay for these auditors to come in and do what they do with a deposit return scheme and be taking back the empties and so on, like it's not really going to be worth it. And I can't begin to imagine what that's like for a sizable brewery having yeah. to then reclaim all those cans. I've heard it doesn't apply to bottles in England at least. So right. whether we see more bottles coming back into the fray <laughs> after all that, <laughs> we don't do bottles anymore. It's too traditional. Bottles, yay! <laughs> <laughs> I love bottles, mate. Colonel will be doing it for years, so we. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, as far as that goes, I'd, uh, like you say, a train wreck just waiting to happen. Uh, the might U-turn on it, who knows? It's You never know, especially you look at the last six months of politics. You know, <laughs> who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? It's um, crazy, isn't it? It's just a case of you kind of have to keep your head down and 
concentrate on what you're doing and deal with whatever when it happens because yep. if you constantly think about what's going on in that shape, way or form, you're just going to put yourself into an early grave. Yep. For any career brewers out there like yourself who might be getting a bit of a shiver at the moment, you yeah. know, looking at their own work situation or feel a bit nervous about what's happening in the industry. Like what advice would you give them and what are some of the telltale signs that the ship might be sinking? <laughs> um, well, if we start with advice, I'll be honest with you, what I've done and I actually start, well, I didn't start at the beginning of COVID. It came to my head at the beginning of COVID. The first 10 years of my working career, I was a chef. Right. And I always had, when I went into brewing, it was like, well, it doesn't matter. I can go back to chefing. That's not an issue. You know, if I need to, um, I work some weekends as a chef for an agency just to keep my head in it um, yeah. and keep the experience there. Um, but when COVID hit, it was like, Christ, what, you know, I can't even go to chefing because it's that screwed as well. And I was speaking to one of our delivery drivers who were delivering the malt, i.e. truck driver. Mm. And he was just like, we're absolutely crying out. We can't find anybody. So what I did, I went to one of these companies and I actually did my HGV course. Um, and it is purely there. I keep it valid. Um, I do my CPC seven hours every year just to keep it valid, just in case anything like this happens. Um, sure enough, as it happens now, I've got that to fall back on should I need it. I'm hoping I don't um, because there is a few irons in the fire. Um, we'll get onto that in a minute, but I'm hoping I don't need it, but it is there should I need it. Um, but there is, it's like our second brewer, um lovely lad uh, i think he's 22 23 uh he was at three hills before he came to was and all he's ever done is brew yep and obviously he's really nervous now because we're going into christmas he doesn't have a job january february may as well be a write off because who's going to be looking for a brewer in january february and genuinely he doesn't know what to do um and I have to say, in his circumstance, I really didn't know what to advise him. Um, I basically, you know, it's like, even if you go get a job in Asda uh, for a couple of months just to ride it out a bit and hopefully, you know, touch wood come March, April next year, things might have calmed down, interest rates might have gone down, people might have a bit more confidence the sun will come out and everyone will think, well, hey, the sun's out, let's go out and have a few pints. And, you know, it might get to a bit of normality. It might, then again, it might go the complete opposite way and people are completely broke and not going out at all. And it's just one of those things. You can't, We haven't been able to predict it for the last three years. Mm. You know, the World Cup... I remember our first year of vocation, we got shafted with an order for 22 pallets off Tesco, completely out of the blue. And it was like, what's that for? And it was like the Euros. 
And we didn't even think, you know, it was like, we knew the Euros were coming up, but we didn't even think, oh, shit, well, everyone's going to be drinking cans of beer. That. Right. <laughs> um, and then this year, for people I've spoke to in the industry and us, it hasn't affected anything. You know, the World Cup and no one seems to be bothered. And I think that's a, a lot of other issues as well, obviously, with the World Cup. And I think should we get a bit further, it might spark a bit more interest. But, yeah, it's just all these little signs of people tightening the belts and not spending the way they were and this, that and the other. Um, as far as brewers still in the industry and what are the telltale signs obviously you can tell how much beer is going out you can tell how often you're brewing um yeah it's um knocks at the door from people in suits um it's yeah it's a hard one um because I think a lot of it depends on the management and what they like. Um, you know, some are completely honest and will tell you the situation. Others will bury their heads in the sand and hope it all goes away. Um, so it, it's very hard, you know. To, it, I think what I would personally say is don't jump ship from anywhere because you never know what you're jumping into. Mm. Um, so you know if you sat there worried um, the company you're working for you think is struggling and you see a job advertised and you get it and you go there who's to say they're not going you know it's it's such a tricky time at the moment um, so I would say stay put for, for the interim early part of next year um and like i say it's just we've got to see how the industry goes um i mean looking into your crystal ball how, <laughs> how, how do you see it panning out well i billion dollar question that anthony <laughs> i'm 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 in two minds about it so the the predicament I'm in at the minute is i've got a couple of options going forward one of which is to take over at Twisted Wheel. I do have a couple of backers who have looked into it. We've spoken to the practitioners and it is possible we could take it over. Um, and don't get me wrong, my heart is telling me go for it because, you know, I've spent the last three years there we have worked so hard. We've had so many accomplishments. You know, we won raise the bar with Asvex Drop Project and Baron. You know, mm. we got Rate Beer's best new brewery in Greater Manchester. We, there, there's been all sorts. Um, Beer 52, well, God, we can't really bring them up at the moment, can we? This was <laughs> about a year and a half ago when they were actually, you know... <laughs> <laughs> when they weren't um, annoying everybody. Um, but yeah, we had so many accomplishments, put so much work into it. Um, it was, well, it's heartbreaking to see what's happened to it. 
you know, and I felt the same when I left vocation. That was very much, I was there from very early on and it was like to leave there was quite a difficult thing. This is a bit different because it's been taken. You know, it's, and it's, to say it's nobody's fault is probably wrong because, you know, but at the same time, we haven't been given a level playing field. You know, the last three years for anybody to get through has just been practically impossible. Hmm. And don't get me wrong, if we had hundreds of thousands in the bank and this and the other, fair enough, but we never did. We didn't from the start. Um, We always, to be fair to the previous management, they always invested in the stuff we needed. So it's like um, when we started canning, we got a deal meter, you know. um, They always put the money in when it needed it. So it's not like we were skimping and doing it off the cuff and this and the other. And I just feel so gutted about how it's all gone it's and that's what i'm that's what i mean so i do have the opportunity to take it on it's just like the future really worries me it Mm. really worries me um so it's well i've only got till thursday at five o'clock to decide so um so by the time this podcast goes out which will be friday so when people listen to this you'll have made that decision yeah, yeah, to be honest. Um, it's not even just making the decision, uh, all the backroom stuff that goes on as well. So we have to speak to the creditors, we have to speak to the practitioners um, because obviously some of the kits still got finance on it. So it'd be speaking to them and making sure that we can just take it over. And the, there's all sorts to do in two days. Um and like I say, it, it, the decision's going to have to come tonight, I think, because, um, yeah, it's there's a lot to do in a very short space of time. And uh, I'm still, I'm sat here now talking to you and I just don't know what to do for the best. I really don't. Um, I don't want to see it go. Yeah, it's a tough one. I, I wouldn't know what to do, to be honest. And then I must admit, and I will take this opportunity. The when the announcement went out, the sheer volume of well wishes and you know the things on social. I've got a very very um, complex relationship with social media when it comes to the industry and myself. And at first, I wasn't going to look at any of it, and then obviously the other staff were looking at it and. The comments have just been out of this world. The support from people, its there hasn't been one negative thing there whatsoever. Um, and I just really want to thank everybody for that because that has really helped all of us. You know, we're going into Christmas without a job, um, all the worries that go with that. But just to see that the last few years has touch so many people and so many people have enjoyed what they're doing has certainly made it a lot easier for us um 
and made my current decision a lot harder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I guess I'd just like to end on this question then. We Obviously, the whole podcast is aimed at the brewing industry. So by and large, we mostly get brewers and industry professionals that listen to it. However, not exclusively, there's a lot of just regular beer drinkers that listen and tune into the Hot Four podcast. What would you say to anyone out there about supporting their local brewery or their local bar or bottle shop? That, that again, is a very hard question to answer because, you know, the ideal world is you go to your local pub, you buy local beer, and... Yeah, but at the moment, it's very hard to be able to afford that. Um, And this is half the problem, and this is where we need the government to step in and help in some sort of way because the average person can't afford to go and sink five or six pints like they used to be able to do, especially not at the prices we're going to have to be selling them for to actually stay afloat um Mm. you know the pubs and bars have the same problem their business rates the electric everything's just rocketed and the average person can no longer afford to go out and support even if they want to and we i spoke to our local mp last night on instagram actually because she came to the brewery a few months back really nice lady charlotte nichols and I'll be honest with you, I'd had a few drinks and I I went on a bit of a rant with her and like, this is ridiculous, you know, what are they doing to the industry? We walked into work on Monday and we didn't have a job. Yeah, and the other thing, um, we found out that we can't get redundancy pay or anything from the government because officially none of us have been working there two years. Um, Don't get me started on stuff like that. No, this is what I mean. So bless bless Charlotte, you know, she got this massive rant from me on Instagram <laughs> about everything that was wrong with the country and wrong with how they were dealing with breweries and such like. Um, and she responded, she was very pleasant, and she had said that she'd spoken to um, the Small Business Federation and CIBA, um, and there were trying to raise awareness and this, that, and the other. So we'll see what comes of that. Um, And then obviously one of the tweets when Twisted Wheel was announced was Roger Protz, who went directly to Rishi Sunak and said, you know, this needs to... Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. (laughs) Go on, Roger. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly (laughs) that. So, yeah, I think in terms of if you can afford it, by all means, go out, you know, buy beer from pubs, bottle shops, etc. Um, I won't say the brewery directly because, to be fair, you know, it's all a chain and everyone's affected by it at the minute. Yeah. Um, so, yes, do what you can, but also, you know, money's tight. Um, it's, it's a tough dilemma. So on the school run today, I needed to go pick up some cheese. So there's a butchers and deli around the corner from my house and I thought well I'll go in there and get yeah. some cheese because it's on route and I want to support local business 
during this time, handed the cheese over. And I'm not talking like a big block. I'm talking like one of those sort of relatively small squares. It was like £4.50. Yeah. I thought, bloody hell, I'm taking a mortgage out to buy cheese. <laughs> you know, you know, organic cheese. And I'm holding this cheese walking to school and there's an Asda further down the road. And part of me's a bit like, I could have got twice, possibly three times the amount of cheese from Asda for a fraction of the price. And I've yeah. got this internal tussle of, yeah, but I'm supporting independent business right now. But then I'm also thinking about, yeah, it's not like over the last few months I've been flooded with new inquiries. Obviously, working in the craft beer industry, it's not like everyone at the moment has been like, hey, let's have a rebrand. Let's have a marketing strategy <laughs> and all the rest of it. Everyone's just like yeah. holding on tight. And so they're the everyday dilemmas people are having over choosing yeah. where they go. And then like I'm going out with a friend on Sunday and it's like, what pub should we go to? And I'm like, well, that's normally we'd be like, oh, let's try this new one. Let's go there. We've not been there for ages. But I'm like, well, actually, you know, I, that's probably going to be the only time I go out in December and I've got to make it count. And I want to make sure that wherever I go, I'm going to enjoy the beers I'm going to drink. And it's like, there's all these things to factor in. And then if you times that by how many breweries there are in the UK, over 2,000, well, it can't be sustained, basically. It, this is not sustainable. It's one thing to say, support your local business, but there are so many of them. Support your local brewery. There are loads in Sheffield. Which one? Yeah. I love them all. Yeah, yeah exactly that. And it's like, the the biggest worry is I, I thought going into COVID, it would be the... How can I word it? <laughs> the casualties would be the ones that, for example, used duty relief to lower the mark upon cask and this, that, and the other. And it hasn't been. There's been a lot of good breweries go and a lot of well-run breweries. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's a nightmare, absolute nightmare. I'd, I'd love to be able to fast forward five years and see what's happened and look back on it because the last three years we've had in general as a country, as you know, it's just been astonishing. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you, you go back before that, even to the referendum. And, you know, Donald Trump, get, I know that's not in our country, but Donald Trump <laughs> getting into power, you know, that the whole thing became very bizarre around 2016. And yeah. obviously back then, from a craft beer perspective, and not just craft beer, but like, like I said, like artisan cheese, artisan bread, coffee roasteries, you know, all those sort of things, you know, that, that there was a real boom. It was almost like the the dot-com boom of the 90s, but of artisan crafts, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it almost feels like how the dot-com boom had its bust, the artisan boom is having its bust. And it'd be very interesting to see what happens next. Obviously very sad for a lot of the, not just craft breweries, but artisanal makers left in its wake. You, I just, I don't have any answers and... I don't think any of us do really. So um, I, th I think, to be honest, what's going to happen, it's going to be like, was it the 60s? Um, where the 
big boys will get bought out by the bigger boys. Um, and the little ones will be left to rot. Um, so all we'll have is you want four key players, Heineken, Airbnb, Bev, etc. And I think that's what's going to happen again. And I think it's going to be the exact same. They're going to take all any brewery that could cause them an issue. So like Brewdog, Tiny Rebel Vocation, you know, that sort of size brewery, I think they'll be given the ultimatum of the either sell out or they'll be put under effectively. And then all the littler breweries will be, like I say, if they look like they're up and coming, they might get bought out. If not, they're going to get left to rot. And you can sort of see it happening now with the likes of Beavertown and um, Fuller's and, you know, Meantime and, it's starting to happen. And I think that, especially with like the duty reforms that are going to happen and it's all going big beers way. And I think that's what's going to happen. And it will get to a point where there'll be very, very little craft breweries left. And it's probably millionaires that just don't care and just want to make beer for Mm. the fun of it. And it will almost start again. Well, I almost wonder, in addition to that, whether breweries, and I'm just completely speculating when I say this, breweries like BrewDog or other companies with a good amount of capital might start having their own portfolio of other brands. So, And, and, and I say this in part because of how Kellam Island yeah. Ale Rider, the brand, has been effectively in some ways folded into Thornbridge, although it's not quite as clear cut as that because it's not like Thornbridge brought the brand, it was a consortium of people, but it's brewed at Thornbridge Hall. And it's, I think it's amazing that Pale Rider and Kellam Island has been saved in that way because yeah. it's, you know, a, a flagship beer with Sheffield. I think a lot of the modern crap beer industry owes a lot to Dave Wickett and to Kellam Island Brewery. Yeah. that um, effectively kick-started this boom um, through the amount of brewers that have, have worked in that brewery. Um, but it made me think, I wonder how many other like brands, Thornbridge, for example, or breweries like that or companies like that, maybe not just craft beer companies, but beverage companies in general, could start buying you know they they like we'll take wild beer co for example like if that's not bought by a heineken or an ab and bev or whoever you know somebody might swoon in and be like well actually you know it's a really so it is a solid brand you know yes yeah. and, and it's it's a good range of beers and whatnot be a nice little package to have in your portfolio of beers and brands like your own and i wonder if we'll start to see like say your, your brew dogs and other companies start to make a modern version of your Saab Millers and your Anheuser Bushes and so on, and then yeah. they'll all become a new mega global beer company when they all start buying one another. These globals start buying one another out, as it as is, was the case with AB InBev. Well. Yeah, like you say, if we all had a crystal ball, we'd know. But yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, I mean, I got very dystopian very fast. There. <laughs> well, on on that bombshell, then um, 
Anthony, thank you for your time. And on behalf of not just myself, but I'm sure all the listeners and subscribers to Top 4 Podcast, just really massively sorry to hear what's happened, but really all the best for the future, mate. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I just hope uh, we get through it with the least amount of casualties we can. Well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers. <laughs>